Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. The New York Giants passing game is sounding like a trap. The revamped New York Giants passing game is gaining steam in the media. Yeah, they added Darren Waller. He was an amazing player in 2019 to 2020, averaging over 1,100 yards and six touchdowns. However, he'll be 31 years old right around opening day. He's missed 14 to 34 games due to injury. Age, injuries, recent production, those are signs of a player in decline. And there's Paris Campbell, the darling of OTAs, apparently getting work as a running back. In his first three years, he's missed 34 of 49 games. Last year, finally healthy. Only 9.9 yards per reception. The explosive player we thought we were going to have, not so much. And now, we're going to tie these players to Daniel Jones. He's a good running back. But 200 yards passing per game with all the benefits of Brian Dable's gimmickry? Sorry, books out on Jones this year. He is going to be the fraud we think he is. Waller, pick 55 in drafts. Campbell, just inside the top 200. 200 is almost free. If he goes higher, that's an issue. But Waller, going that early, player to avoid at that cost. Let's hit the music. Welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Bartle NFL Podcast, of course, brought to you by our friends at Circus Sports. Joe Bartle, alongside me, as always, Jim Coventry. Kick things off the show, Jim, talking about the Giants. And I think there has been more hype surrounding Daniel Jones and the Giants passing attack than I have seen in recent memory when it comes to OTAs. Like, normally during this period of July and June, or sleep at the wheel a little bit, you and I as experts, Jim, of course, are paying attention very dutifully as to what's going on, but there's been more publicity and attention given to Brian Dable, Daniel Jones, and certainly the extension that was well warranted this offseason, and the new additions that they had in the passing attack along with old guys, like Isaiah Hodgins, old I'm saying. I have no idea why we have the hype that we're having right now for Daniel Jones. Let's just talk about some of the stats relative to other quarterbacks in the NFL. A quarterback that has three seasons of 4,400 or more yards, and then another two with just under 4,000 passing yards. 22 and 16 touchdown interception ratio, 2013 touchdown interception ratio last year through 29 touchdowns, seven interceptions. That's Jared Goff. No one here is going to be like, oh, I want to have Jared Goff fantasy wise over Daniel Jones. And 
That's in large part because Daniel Jones ran for 700 yards last year. Just to reinforce this from Daniel Jones' perspective, who's last year, best season, 3,200 passing yards, 15 touchdowns, five interceptions. If you want to go back to his rookie year where we're trying to pretend like he had some sort of positive optimism with Joe Judge as his head coach, fine. 24 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, 11 fumbles. Another quarterback, four seasons with over 4,000 passing yards. His worst season as a pro, Jim, 19 touchdowns to 10 interceptions. I was back in 2018. Last year, had a bad year for 24 touchdowns and 14 interceptions, 3,500 passing yards in just 15 games. That's Derek Carr. Those are the numbers we're looking at. So how in the world is Daniel Jones in his best season supposed to be able to make both Darren Waller and Paris Campbell fantasy relevant? Fine. If you want to believe Daniel Jones is going to be a fantasy quarterback off his legs, go ahead. I agree with you, Jim. I think the NFL's figured out. But I have no clue how you can assume optimisms occur just because Brian Dable is there. That doesn't work for me. You look at the numbers and quarterbacks that are certainly viewed lesser, like Jared Goff and Derek Carr, it makes zero sense to me. People want to make the connection between Josh Allen, who wasn't a good thrower coming into the league. He was like 53% completion percentage. He was not good. And then Brian Dable took a couple of years, and then all of a sudden we have Superman in our hands. And so then people are trying to extrapolate Daniel Jones in this, well, mobile quarterback, issues throwing. They're not the same guy. They do not have the same physical skill set. Josh Allen is a physical freak of nature. Daniel Jones can run. But in terms of quarterback skill set, he does not have that. The argument ends there. And as the season went on, other than the Minnesota Vikings defense, which had no chance against Dable's offense, the Giants were struggling as teams were looking to take away things. And I know the Eagles are a very good defense, but going into that game, they were going to take away what Dable wanted to do. The smoke and mirrors had already been done. There are no tricks to pull out of the bag this year. Now it's going to be what talent you have because the league will come down hard on Daniel Jones. Yeah, and and that's fair because the Giants are going to have more talent. That's part of the whole thing with Darren Waller and Paris Campbell. You can question their availability, and you should, right? Paris Campbell's played uh, just 15 games in the past four seasons, and oh, by the way, it happened in a contract year. That's a little suspect, and and not that the fantasy community is disagreeing, right? His his ADP is around the 200 mark. It's not uh, super extreme, but Darren Waller, it's like we're pricing this in assuming Brian Dable is going to make Daniel Jones, Josh Allen. And while they might be close athlete-wise, right? Oh, they can both run. They're, they're both really fast. Look at Daniel Jones had a 23-mile-per-hour run at his fastest point before he tripped on the five-yard line, whatever it was. They're not the same throwers. And that's the, that's the big difference for me. And again, when we talk about Jared Goff and Derek Carr, who have significantly better stats over multiple seasons, and Daniel Jones' best year has 1,300 passing yards, there's no way. I, it just can't sustain three or four different fantasy assets. And that's assuming they're all going to stay healthy with both with Darren Waller and Paris Campbell. Uh, it, it, we just have not seen yet consistently in their career. So let's transition over to a bit more of OTA news that we had. Of course, the Giants being one of the more popular names uh, mentioned overall with Daniel Jones and Paris Campbell and Darren Waller. There was this report from the athletic Zach Jackson uh, who's for, uh, referencing Elijah Moore. It's clear the Browns want to get Elijah Paul, I'm sorry, Elijah Moore the ball on short passes and let him create. And I think that's really interesting because we've had a lot of hype with Elijah Moore in past seasons with the Jets, of course, his first season now with the Browns. So, Jim, what's your thoughts on at least the news regarding Elijah Moore and where he might fit uh, with the Browns' plan this season? You know, Elijah Moore was the 
34th overall pick in the draft, and he was not a reach. It's time to get on the train for Elijah Moore here. We need to be drafting him. First of all, people are talking about him as the number three. Don't rule out for a second that he could be the number two there. He is immensely talented. It runs a 4-3-5-40, 91st percentile agility, 55th percentile explosiveness is okay, but the other numbers are elite. Now, he has built a bit more for the slot, but he can also play on the outside, again, as a Z receiver. He's not going to take on that press man coverage. He'll get that release from the Z spot. Is Amari Cooper playing in the slot then? Well, there's two outside receivers, Joe. Sure. Well, that's about, about my, Cooper's my a classic X. I, I, I agree. Like, if you say Amari Cooper can play in the slot, I'm, I'm well, he I can. Guess, uh, foreshadowing, he can. foreshadowing for the uh, listeners. I believe Elijah Moore is a slot and that when you have Donovan Peoples-Jones and Amari Cooper, they're both playing on the outside. But if you're telling me that Amari Cooper is going to play on the inside and then allows Elijah Moore, then that's fine. And you can, you can make an argument that's the case. But when you have those specific bodies at wide receiver like they do, and of course they drafted uh, the Tennessee product in the third round as well, likely to play outside, it feels like they're funneling Elijah Moore to be the team's starting slot receiver. Yes, but when there are two receiver sets, I think that Moore will have no problem kicking aside Donovan Peoples-Jones. Uh, no problem kicking aside Cedric Tillman, the rookie, who people are all kinds of high on. But look, I'm telling you, this is the number 34 pick in a draft, and it was a merited pick. Don't forget, the Jets quarterback played the last two years of horrendous, but Elijah Moore, in his last six games in 2021, he averaged 5.7 receptions, 76 and a half yards with five touchdowns, and that was with bad quarterback play. He was showing us right there. He was breaking out into a superstar. And whatever happened in New York Jets camp last year, they just had no inclination to make him a part of that offense. And by the middle of the season on the trade deadline, he was doing Elijah Moore was anything to get off of that team. And they wouldn't trade him. Finally, in the offseason, they did. But Elijah Moore, to me, has superstar potential. And you're putting him with Amari Cooper and also look Deshaun Watson. We've talked about this, Joe Deshaun Watson. I firmly believe that he just didn't get back to the speed of the game last year. You're not losing your talent in the mid twenties. He's in the closer to his upper twenties. Now you're not losing your talent. He had too many problems. He caused probably mentally wasn't sharp with it, but that much time off, it just looked like he was a little bit behind. That's probably coming back this year. This could be one of the more explosive offenses in the league. They got Nick Chubb running the ball. They still have a top 10 offensive line, maybe a top five offensive line. Elijah Moore is going to be a big part of this. Yeah, we can talk about the defensive aspect for the Browns too because they have improved defensively and theoretically, whereas teams like the Vikings, we'll talk about them a little later on, their offense is going to be on the field more because their defense isn't very good. The Rams, the same case. Maybe you would make the argument reverse for the Browns that uh, they will be in the field less offensively because their defense, you know, or 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 you're running out the clock or stuff like that. But the Browns' offense is actually catered to do that. I mean, that's been Kevin Stefanski's whole deal. Is let's let's use the play action, let's run the ball, and now better quarterback play than Baker Mayfield. And I, you know, you could say what you want, but Deshaun Watson, Watson, if he's even like halfway right, is a better quarterback than Baker Mayfield. He'll be able to operate from a play action perspective has a bit more time now under center as opposed to uh, being a shotgun-oriented offense with the Texans. 
in those past two seasons. And I, and I want to talk about those past two seasons because this is an important part when we're discussing the Elijah Moore hype. And at least I think there is. Uh, back in 2019, so that wasn't like the, the peak Deshaun Watson year, but it was still really good. He threw for uh, almost 4,000 yards and a really good touchdown interception ratio. That was like the, oh, wait, Deshaun Watson's actually a top five quarterback in the league season. His third receiver, right? We had DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, we had other guys, but the third receiver in 2019 was Kenny Stills. His best, that, that was that, his stats for that season 40 catches, 561 yards, four receptions. So let's fast forward then to 2020. That was the best Deshaun Watson season. He was in the MVP running for much of the year. Um, we still had DeAndre Hopkins. We had a bit more of the David Johnson offense, whatever else. Third receiver then. Top stats, Randall Cobb, 38 receptions, 441 receiving yards, three touchdowns. Important to know, Kiki QT also had about the same figures, like 30 catches, 400 yards, not a touchdown. So they, they had essentially two slot receivers combined for about 600, 650 yards and four touchdowns. But that's in Watson's best season, the third receiver in a Deshaun Watson-helmed offense. Like, I... I, I'm not buying the uh, Elijah Moore hype if we're talking about those are the best years for third third receivers. From what am I missing, Jim? Well, Kenny Stills was a journeyman at who had a couple of decent stretches in his career. He was never a primary guy. Randall Cobb was already 29 years old and had been in the league since he was probably 20. I mean, he was in the league very young, and so Randall Cobb was already way on the backside of his career at this point. So these two players were just situational pieces that were put in. I just have to reinforce the fact Elijah Moore purposely was drafted as the number 34 pick. I know it's the third time I've said that. That was a very correct assessment of his ability and talent. And in that six-game stretch before he got injured and missed the end of the 2021 season, he showed that's the trajectory he was on. It wasn't his fault the Jets were a train wreck last year on many levels offensively. They didn't have quarterback worth, worthy of getting him the ball either. I, Garrett Wilson only caught 82 of 147 targets in that offense. So it was just a train wreck. But this is a player who's a superstar. It's not Randall Cobb. It's not Kenny Stills. This is a player who is going to find the, what the liking of his quarterback, his quarterback, they want to get the ball in his hands and let him create after the catch. That's what Elijah Moore can do. And they're going to utilize that. Kevin Stefanski knows what he has. I, they're, the buzz in OTAs, it's real. That is not like them hyperbole coming up. This is a guy who is going to be heavily utilized. Yeah, it's hard. We play fantasy football and you're always looking for an edge on your, your opposition. But if we played fantasy football just off the of numbers last year, then you would just be picking the best players from last year and putting them in your lineup. And it, it's not a one-for-one one thing. So I'm always careful. You know, I read off the data on Daniel Jones and uh, Kenny Stills in 2019 and, and Cobb in 2020, and every circumstance is different. And I, and I recognize that. No, I'm not arguing that Elijah Moore uh, is as talented or not as talented as Cobb and Stills. In fact, I, I wholeheartedly agree. While maybe Elijah Moore has not proven in my mind that he is worth a second-round pick, He's certainly better than nearing end of career Randall Cobb and whatever Kenny Stills was in 2019. Like it, that's that's undeniable in my opinion. But I, I'm like, okay, maybe he's a DeAndre Hopkins that was taking up too much work. Like, there's no way peak DeAndre Hopkins is as good as Mari Cooper. But Cooper was thoroughly successful even with the Sean Watson struggling. So if you say Watson will get better, 
Cooper Cup's going to get, I'm sorry, Amari Cooper, sorry. Amari Cooper's going to get his. Maybe that is the avenue for Elijah Moore to get and carve out something like 650, uh, 700 yards, and some touchdowns. Maybe it's that Kareem Hunt isn't going to have any of those receptions because he's not on the team anymore and, and they won't be passing to Nick Chubb, which feels out of line for the Kevin Stefanski offense. Like there has to be a running back that has that function. We saw that in Minnesota and I think we'll see that again here with Tom, but maybe Jerome Ford, you know, the, the typical backup for uh, Nick Chubb isn't going to be that guy. So they use Elijah Moore kind of like what we're hearing with Paris Campbell in New York and oh, he's going to be the backfield more. And look at Debo Samuel did that two years ago. So now every receiver can, I don't know. Like, it's really hard for me to fathom in the Kevin Stefanski offense how three receivers are going to function at a fantasy, uh, not superstar level, but a fantasy level to be successful. And unless you're saying Donovan Peoples-Jones is going to crater off or that Amari Cooper is going to be less productive, I am not taking uh, Elijah Moore at his ADP. I'm just, I'm not going to be doing that. Now, Joe, one thing I do have to say is remember, the Cleveland Browns made an insane investment in Deshaun Watson. To me, this is Deshaun Watson's offense. This is not Kevin Stefanski's offense. Last year, they couldn't run Deshaun Watson's offense because he wasn't ready. It was very clear he was not playing at anywhere close to the level where he'd be successful. But assuming, again, I think rightfully that he is somewhat back this year, that offense is running through him. They paid him a fully guaranteed contract tons of money. This is not Nick Chubb's offense right now. Now, Nick Chubb could have a career year because they're the, if the Browns are going to run with more focus on the passing game, defenses are going to have to respect that because Watson will earn the respective defenses. And if that happens, Nick Chubb behind still a very good line, as I said earlier, he's going to have more room to run. He's seen stacked boxes his entire career, and he's still been over five yards per carry pretty much every season. So Nick Chubb, this offense could be so high volume. I am betting on the Browns this year. So obviously that's that's become apparent to anybody who's listening to the show. I am betting on them because I'm betting on Watson regaining his form. And if that happens, good luck stopping this offense. And honestly, and people are going to think I'm nuts saying this. I think that if Watson is somewhat back, they could go toe to toe with the Chiefs offensively. Yeah, that's tough. Um, again, and I go back to the defense w- with the Browns improving that theoretically. It, it it should be able to shorten games with the way Kevin Stefanski wants to play again, relying on Nick Chubb and that offense line, which is very good. You get David Njoku involved. We haven't even talked about him too, but theoretically, that's also your third wide receiver as well. Like the, the Browns are loaded at just about every level. It's a matter of can the talent do what we think they can on paper, and we haven't thus far seen that. With Kevin Stefanski as the, the head coach for the Browns, well, I guess you know that that one Baker Mayfield year, maybe they're playing above to it. But I, I'm, I think peak level offense for the Browns looks a lot like what the Bills would like to do, right? That's why they've invested so much in their their running backs, and you get Devin Singletary running from his five yards to carry. It's because no one touches him at that point. They're also worried about the passing game. That that is the level in which the Browns could be playing at. Deshaun Watson might not be quite the caliber of Josh Allen, but at his peak, that's not too far off, and they have. Plenty of good weapons in Amari Cooper uh, and Diamond Peoples Jones, who I've been very dismissive of uh, in his career. At this point, I can't. Like he, he, DPJ is a thing. You know that, that's that's hard to ignore. And Elijah Moore could be very well uh, that third receiver that the Browns have been looking for quite a bit. Or it's Cedric Tidnell, like Tillman, like you mentioned, who uh, again would play on the outside more more theoretically. If that's so, 
Here, let's take a break. I want to come back and discuss more about OTAs. The Athletics' Ben Standing writes for the commanders that offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy is going to be using running back screens as part of more of a broad change offensively. And you're like, wait a minute. Uh, I've watched a lot of J.D. McKissick over the years for the commanders. How is that really different? And the difference is it's J.D. McKissick's not there running the screenplays. Like, they threw to their running back a lot, actually involved the running back. It felt like more than any other team in the NFL We've seen screenplays to Jarek McKinnon, who you could argue his talent over the course of his career, been up and down, certainly as a roller coaster. It, that scheme has made McKinnon uh, a fantasy darling over the past six or seven weeks, the past two seasons now for the Chiefs. It's certainly possible, no McKissick around this time around, Antonio Gibson is going to be a very thriving fantasy running back this season. Joe, when people talk about running backs in the screen game, there's a lot of different iterations of this. When we talked about J.D. McKissick, this was dump-offs. This was just basically little side screens. These weren't designed play calls. They were turbo package often when they were trailing. It was blitz coming hot. There's my dump-off McKissick. It was that, that basic. If the enemy is bringing in any version of the Andy Reid offense, and you mentioned it with Jarek McKinnon, these are legitimate routes being run by running backs. That's a massive difference. Antonio Gibson, remember at Memphis, he was a wide receiver. His skills are as a wide receiver, but he can't play wide receiver in the NFL. But we saw last year, I remember it was maybe week 16 or so. I remember Gibson out of the backfield ran this route that went to the deep right corner. And it was an amazing route. And he got you know, you know, the ball right between the numbers and he caught it for a long game. But that was just like one little example. But Antonio Gibson is so versatile as a receiver. And if Eric Bieniemy is going to install this offense, Gibson has to be a big part of this. It's not just going to be dump offs. Again, you referenced Jarek McKinnon, very good reference point. But imagine this Gibson with the ball in his hands and space. And Bieniemy was actually talking about that. He is a load, duh, when he has, the, you know, when he's in space, he is a huge fast dude and that's going to be mouth-watering yeah brian robinson is going to get the early down work gibson just doesn't have the experience at running back to be able to make the proper reads to be a foundational running back finding the holes and stuff i mean no, I, I completely agree you like the broken tackle stat more than i do give me the running back that doesn't break any tackles because he's just so fast and big and you just can't touch him it's jonathan taylor right don't give me the david montgomery's gonna break three tackles to get two yards that's i don't want that running style at all i i think antonio gibson again on paper is the type of big bodied fast athlete that you want to be catching the ball and doing stuff in space and not as a checkoff if you are designing plays in the passing game to get Antonio Gibson involved and you and, and fine, run a run a 15-yard flag to the end zone. Great. But I'm saying, like within the five yards line of scrimmage where you have other big guys blocking for him, okay, you're making him have to read a hole once again, but it's much more different when you aren't having to worry about your step through on, on the carry, hold the ball thing. Like there's a lot more to just catching and run than handoff and hit the hole. And it might sound novice. It, it might kind of sound um awkward to think about, but I really believe it's the case, or at least that's what Gibson has shown in his career, where he has been a really capable guy after the catch, since the commanders haven't really utilized him that fast because they had McKissick there too. So 
Um, it, it's, a, it's a really interesting data point for him, too. One thing that I like for Gibson, and I'm not excited that Sam Howell is the quarterback, but they have both Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dotson. They the 16th pick from last year out of Penn State. And they have these two receivers who are going to command attention. They're going to be a very important focal point for defenses. And when route combination routes are being run with Gibson in conjunction with them, it's going to give Sam Howell some very, very easy throws. And that's going to be an inviting target for him. And so that's another layer I wanted to add, the Jahan Dotson and Terry McLaurin angle. And right now, according to Fantasy Mojo, who's my go-to for ADP data, the last few days, he's going as running back 33, pick 94. He's a low-end running back three. And if I'm in a PPR league, look, he Gibson caught 56 passes last year. And J.D. McKissick had 40 targets before he was IR for the season. I don't know how Gibson doesn't catch 70 passes this year. I think we get so mushbrained as an NFL community at times. We're not as uh, aware of the college football landscape and, and how quickly that changes. This time three years ago, Brock Purdy was being considered in the first round. Of course, he flamed out his final year, ends up being an, uh, Mr. Irrelevant for the 49ers. Now we've circled all the way back. We're, oh, man, Brock Purdy's actually really good. This is shocker. And it's like, well, he wasn't. Of the seventh round rookie quarterbacks, he really wasn't that bad. The same thing happened to Sam Howell. And like, if you are a believer that Brock Purdy's a thing, and I would be willing to bet if we're Venn diagramming this, we're, there's going to be a decent amount of Sam Howell guys uh, who liked him in college and also Brock Purdy guys. The Sam Howell is not that bad of a fifth round quarterback. Now, this class, this upcoming rookie group that I think had 24 quarterbacks taken in it, that was a lot of uh, redshirt seniors, guys that played fifth or sixth years due to COVID. And it, it was clear the NFL said, hey, we're going to cut back on expensive. Let's, let's, let's make the quarterback two and three, because now that new rule change with the 49ers, we need to have a third quarterback. We're going to make that now cheaper. Okay, well, this will we'll be a fifth or sixth round pick on uh, the Dorian Thompsons of the world for the Browns. Like That was kind of the push of the Sean Cliffords for my pathetic Packers. Like Those guys aren't legitimate quarterbacks. Sam Howell, Brock Purdy were legitimately prospect guys, uh, even like year two or three into the collegiate years. I actually think Sam Howell is not bad. Like I, I'm, I'm curious to see how the Sam Howell experience is going to go. And I, I think the commander's offense might be better than a lot of people talk about. Um, you mentioned Antonio Gibson about running back 33 or pick 94. Also, that's kind of the same range of Elijah Moore. And I was having this conversation with our tech wizard, Harry Thompson, who is just stupid smart and everything. But he was saying that he is taking running backs in this round seven through 11 range as his running back twos. And I'm like, what? And he, and he looked at, okay, so Antonio Gibson, there's the AJ Dillons of the world. And I'm going through the list. I'm like, actually, no, nah, like I, I, I kind of get it. Now I'm not going to go that far into the, oh, let's wait on my running back two pond. But I really, really like some of these guys in this range. Well, it's the hero running back that we're talking about that Harry's using, and it's taking a stud running back early and then just dealing with your other positions and then just filling in the gaps at running back. So it's become a lot more trendy to do that, and there was nothing on, wrong with did you, that. Did you say the hero running back? It's called the hero running back. That's the draft. That's what it's called. I thought you just made up a thing in the final. I'm like, yes, because I the zero running back, it's like, oh, we just wait until on 10 <laughs> But hero, 
Dang it. Okay, so fine. That That's a thing. You have one stud running back and then a not so much. That's what we call the hero strategy. Right. It's zero running back, but you go with one running back instead. That's All right, basically fine. What I'm going to pretend like you created that because I've never heard of it before. <laughs> I'm, I'm like well in the industry and I've never heard the, the hero yeah. strategy. So I'm going to call it the Jim Coventry hero strategy. Nice. I love it. In terms of running backs, I'm a James Conner guy and he's falling well into the fifth round. So I'm usually addressing my running back too well before those I go complete hero running back, but I want my third running back. And that's the area of the draft where I definitely want to get a third running back because we know running backs are going to miss time. And if a player I'm pursuing is James Conner, we're going to get two to six mixed games a season. That's been six years running. That's been his number. We'll be two and six games. He doesn't miss more than half the season, but he'll miss. And it was only one year he missed more than four, more than four games. So he misses a bit of time. But you want that third running back. You want to make sure you're covered there. And you don't want to be going into the ladder rounds with a player who you don't have a strong feeling for. So Gibson is a great player as your running back three or in hero running back. Make him your your two. I am going to reach up around four Gibson because I do believe 70 catches is a probable expectation. And most of the leagues I'm in are PPR leagues. And if you're giving me 70 catches, yeah, that's a pretty good baseline. Yeah, I'm I'm. Right there with you. I have been uh, avoiding the Antonio Gibson thing for a couple of years now. It, it never made sense to me, mainly because I thought the commander's offense was bad and uh, like Carson Wentz, not very good. You never know what you are going to get out of Taylor Heineke. Uh, uh, I know people are going to be like, well, wait, it's it's Sam Howell. And again, I what I said earlier, I don't think he's that bad of a quarterback. I, at the very minimum, Jim, I think he's at the level of talent of Carson Wentz, Taylor Heineke. And you can kind of decide what that means. But that's what I think the floor is for Sam Howell. So yeah, the I think Antonio Gibson is a PPR guy specifically. That's one of those I bet that if you ask me at the beginning of August, he's going to be going higher. Like, like smart people like you, Jim, have already sniffed it out. I think more are going to listen to it, and that's just going to be ADP range that are pushed up. But AJ Dillon, uh, Elijah Mitchell, like AJ Dillon, for he's going to have a base floor, right, of nine hundred to a thousand total yards and four or five touchdowns. You could make that your RB three or two. Uh, you could be waiting around for whatever the the. This year's version of Jamal Williams is going to be that guy in week one or two for agents to pick up that you can ride the whole year and have A.J. Dillon fit in as your running back two spot the whole time. I think Elijah Mitchell, he is going to get a ton of work. Like when Elijah Mitchell was healthy towards the latter half of that 49er season and Christian McCaffrey was around, Mitchell was still getting 15 touches a game. And that's just assuming McCaffrey is going to be healthy the entire year, which, as you know, Jim, not not happen. Doesn't happen very often with CMC. Another guy I like quite a bit too. I think Samaj P. Ryan's going to be a thing. Legitimately, he's either pass catcher or three down back for the Broncos for the first month of the season. That gets you through a lot of the same period too. I like the Bears guys, Deonta Foreman as well, Khalil Herbert. We've talked about Herbert in past podcasts. I mean, they're all running backs going in that seven through 11 range. Uh, and I know everyone says sleeper picks, right? We want guys uh, around 12 and later, the, the sexy ones that helped win your league that no one saw coming. I think this range that round seven through 11 is going to define if you are successful and winning leagues this season. I'm going to call it because I'm very good at naming things. As you know, it's the wasteland of security. Like you're not, you're not happy to be locking in all these seven through 11 round picks, but it's the wasteland of security range. I want as many of the stud running backs from that section as I can get. One last running back name I want to throw in here is don't sleep. In the very, very last rounds of your draft on Chase Edmonds, I am not convinced Rashad White is good. He starts out the season in line to be the lead running back. 
Chase Edmonds was very good in Arizona. And then last year, when he went over to Miami, he was not, was it Miami? I, was, I believe it was Miami. Well, right? he, he went yeah. to Denver halfway through the year, but I bought in on Chase Edmonds with the Dolphins to start, and I was very wrong. Right, and, and what happened was he just ended up not being a system fit. That was the one-cut system. Chase Edmonds didn't fit that. Now, after he got hurt when he went to Denver late in the season, but he did get back on the field late, he looked like the same guy he did in Arizona because he was back to running more naturally. This is not going to be a one-cut system in Tampa Bay. Edmonds has shown he's very good. I don't think it's anything close to a stretch to say he is going to be better than Rashad White. And I think he immediately cuts into the workload. And if Rashad White shows many of the tendencies, not being able to get free from tacklers, I think that he quickly gets pushed to the side. And Edmonds, among other things, becomes the primary pass catcher with some running back duties between the tackles. Not a lot. It'd be more more receiving. But I think that in your later picks, I think that's a player. And again, if he doesn't work out in two weeks, you dump him. But that's a player late in your draft. You take that's the depth chart spot that's really confusing me. The Buccaneers are, are, I think, the lowest projected odds to win the NFC South. Like, post-Tom Brady, we're in a bit of a rebuild, even if they don't want to say it. Rashad White is your starter. Evans is your backup. We know what Keyshawn Vaughn is, which is not very good. Kind of a jag uh, running back at this point in his career. Patrick Laird, Ronnie Brown. No, not the Dolphins Wildcat <laughs> Ronnie Brown, but, uh, you know, the undrafted guy that they brought in. The only concern would be Sean Tucker, who had, I think, like 1,600 rushing yards with Syracuse last year. Also an undrafted guy. I thought like there are there are smart people who really think Sean Tucker is going to be a good running back. Um, the fact that he has missed most of the June o- OTAs with an undisclosed injury, injury that, that that's the kind of stuff that really hurts a rookie running back. Like when you're you're missing these first two months of practice. Maybe if there have been opportunities for Sean Tucker to push uh, the Rashad Whites and Chase Evans, it'd be a little bit different. I wholeheartedly agree. Like I, that that's a very curious uh, depth chart to the point where. Got Kareem Hunt, got Ezekiel Elliott, Delvin Cook right now, right? There, there's Leonard, not Leonard France coming back to the Buccaneers. It would be almost shocking for me to have that be the depth chart to start week one, um, unless the Buccaneers are really just wholeheartedly diving into the tank, which may, maybe they are. You know, that, that's, that, that could be their prerogative. The Cardinals seem to be, uh, the Rams, whether they know it or not, are also diving into the tank too. So Buccaneers could be joining the, the NFC really stinks train and uh, hopping on board. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. 
And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I want to get a word from our sponsors here at Circa Sports. Uh, the Ultimate Fantasy Football Draft can only take place in Las Vegas Circle Resort and Casino. And they want to bring you and your whole league to Vegas with the Ultimate Fantasy Football Experience giveaway. Bring your 12-person league or a two-night stay at Circle Resort and have your draft at the Fana Stadium Swim. Plus, you get limo tra- transportation to and from the airport, a welcome party at the Legacy Club, a booth at the world's largest sportsbook, and more. It's a prize package valued over $8,000. There's no better place to draft than Circa. You must be 21 years old to participate. Go to Circa, C-I-R-C-A, LasVegas.com. For more information, Jim, you and I, we're going to be there uh, in what it feels like three weeks now, under under a month for sure, uh, for the Rotoware Vegas retreat. I'm going to push for it. I want to have a live podcast, uh, both of us certainly indulging in all the wonderful things Vegas has to offer, discussing the merits of our drafts. We will be doing drafts at Vegas. I'm happy to see that as on the itinerary. So uh, I- I'm excited for year two of, of the Circa Las Vegas retreat here. It's been an exciting partnership. Yeah, absolutely. The Circa is an amazing place to draft. And people who are listening to the show, make sure that you're getting involved in this promotion. If you win this, you're not going to regret it. Remember, if you go there other than All-Star Baseball Weekend, when we go there, the stadium swim with all those massive screens and games going on, it's an experience you're never going to forget. What a place to be. Wholeheartedly agree with you uh, on that. So let's continue on with the OTA conversation. Um, we had Rams coach Sean McVay say running back Cam Akers is going to be a central figure in the team's offense this season. This comes from the guys over at turfshow.com. We've heard this before. And of course, Cam Akers with that nasty Achilles injury stymies the, the progress that we had from the end of year one. So are you in on the Cam Akers experience once more? Are you ready to ride that train with Sean McVay? Fantasy managers need to make a concrete decision here. Last year, Cam Akers, he did play in the playoffs the, the year he injured his Achilles, but it's clear he wasn't right. And then last year, he comes back. We were expecting him to be fine, and apparently the testing the Rams and Akers said the Achilles was fine. But then he comes out the gate in weeks one to 10 and averages 2.83 yards per carry. So fantasy managers need to decide, was it his Achilles? He was benched for two games during this span as well. Now, but in that span where he averaged 2.83 yards per carry, he faced four top 10 defenses. And and it was in seven games. He was benched for two of them, remember. And there was a buy in there. So was it the fact that it was a tough schedule or was it the Achilles? But then. After his little banishment, he had limited snaps. So he still was just at 2.72 yards per carry in the next couple of games after that. But again, limited snaps. So you have a couple of bad runs and that's the end of it. But all of a sudden then, we see a different player the last eight games of the season. Again, fantasy managers need to decide. Was it at that point that he was still overcoming the Achilles? Or was it schedule being favorable? Because he rushes now for 4.8 yards per carry in the last eight games. That's two full yards higher than he rushed in the first half of the season. But 
five of the defenses he faced were in the bottom 10. So, and none of the defenses he faced were in the top 10. So it was a very favorable schedule early in the season, a tough schedule. And then in weeks 15 through 18, it was three of the four games. Again, three bottom 10 defenses. So he had had great finish, 100 yards in each of those games, a three touchdown performance. And it, then that late season stretch, that was 5.47 yards per carry. And he caught nine passes. So it was a tale of like three seasons for Cam Akers. And so fantasy managers have to decide where they're going to settle in on him. It was very clear that Sean McVay, as soon as Akers was performing, was willing to turn over the keys to the car to him. He made him the feature back. He showed that. He proved it. Akers performed. Now, Schedule is not going to be as favorable as, as it was down the stretch for him. But that said, he is going to start the season as the lead back. I think the fact is ADP is going in the fourth or so round. Oh, I should say the fifth round. Pick 58. Um, Fantasy Mojo is at pick 58. So it's the end of the fifth round. For me, if I need a second running back and I'm at that point of the draft and I don't have anybody else I like and Connor's off the board, I don't see a case against him. I'm not going to load up on shares of Cam Akers, but if I need a running back at that point of the draft, he is going to get usage. Yeah, you can go ahead and do that, Jim. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm, not, I'm not in on this at all. And there's a lot of running backs, honestly, in that round four and five range that it's like, wait, what, what, are, what are we doing? I have, I have no clue where the optimism is. So we're basing Cam Akers going ahead of Antonio Gibson, who we both believe is going to be a very valuable factor in PPR leagues. Because he's getting a lot of carries and over three games last year did good against bottom defenses, right? Was it the schedule or was it as him healing up from the Achilles injury? Because that's a long injury to recover from. And the way his season arc went, it either was it was him healing or it was completely the schedule or it was a combination of both. And that's where the quagmire is because nobody knows for sure what it is. If it was him healing, he looked like the back he did in 2020 down the stretch when he was the focal point of the running game and he was highly effective. So it, it's it's a tough call. And that's why I said I'll have some shares of him because part of me says the Achilles was getting better. And that's why I won't have full shares of him because there was the schedule. So it's a very unique circumstance, and it's one that has no clear-cut answers, and nobody has the crystal ball to say, I know which it was, right? Yeah, the only person that theoretically would is Sean McVay, who has benched Akers on multiple occasions. So like, if this sounds like deja vu to you, the Cam Akers re-hype train, I understand for listeners, because we had this uh, in 2021. At least in 2020, there was this five-game sample size, not including the playoffs, I should say, where Cam Akers looked legit. And of course, that class at J.K. Dobbins, DeAndre Swift, and Jonathan Taylor. Uh, and you're like, oh, wow, this running back group is insane. And Cam Akers is also second round picks. They're all really good. And then we had the Achilles injury. I, I'm, I'm just concerned because we have a 15-game sample size of Sean McVay saying, actually, no, I, I don't want to play Cam Akers uh, in any relevant capacity. Or if so, we're going to give him those junk carries that we gave Ezekiel Elliott you know, with the Cowboys. And, and no one's like, can't wait to draft Ezekiel Elliott when he goes to a team and gets the two-down work. That's my biggest concern is, sure, if, if Cam Akers is truly a three-down back, there just aren't many of them in the NFL, and he's getting receptions at the pace that he was last year. 
okay, yeah, like I, you have to kind of be on board in the same way you are with James Conner. Like the Cardinals are going to suck. They're a very bad team. But James Conner is going to get an absurd workload for the games in which he's healthy. And you look at the guys behind him, Count Ingram, we saw last year. No, he's, he's, not, he's not the guy. It's going to be James Conner. That same argument probably can be made for Cam Akers. Like I kind of liked Tyron Williams. I was pretty convinced he was going to be a thing. Uh, very much less so now. Actually, in fact, I traded him away uh, in a dynasty league where he was really cheap ass. And I was like, no, I, I'll, I'll get the thing. It's actually Sean Tucker, the Buccaneers. I'll draft a guy that I picked up instead. So if you're saying Cam Akers is going to be a three down workhorse by default, I'm, I'm fully involved with that process. The Rams are going to be very bad. I, I don't know what their over under win total is. I'll take the under if it's seven and a half. I have a bet already out there right now saying I think the Rams will finish last in the NFC West. That defense is awful. And their offense line, great. They drafted something in the second round. It's not fantastic. This is not the Super Bowl winning offensive line that it was. Even that wasn't very good. We have no idea what we're getting with Stafford. This is a bad offense. It is going to be a bad offense, and that's the best part of the team. So no, I don't want a, a not great running back on a bad offense that's going to be not able to run the ball very much. And we'll have to use pass catchers out of the backfield. Remember, the Rams offensive line was decimated in the preseason last year. There were players they didn't have all year. There were players they had at less than full capacity. From a run blocking perspective, they do get Joe Noteboom and Rob Havenstein, the tackles back. They are good linemen. Brian Allen, the center, who was hurt on and off last year, he is actually a very good run blocker, and they used an early second-round pick on Steve Avila, um, and so he'll be the left guard. Coleman Shelton was a work in progress, uh, but I think he has a, a little bit of upward potential. So I just want to point out to listeners, the offensive line, I think a lot of people are thinking they're like the worst in the league. The line, now healthy, may be somewhat near average, which is a big difference than the bottom unit they were because they were decimated last year. And that's fair. I'm I'm talking like they're one of the worst in the league. And that's 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 probably not um a fair comparison, even though I don't think they are very good and you're expecting a second round rookie. Uh and given what the Rams have done over the draft, especially in the second round, you think the receivers, I it's not like I'm supposed to assume Les Need, who doesn't want to pick uh by default, it, it is going to be necessarily crushing those. But that's 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 a fair enough point. Um I do want to talk again, kind of in that uh, wasteland of opportunity range, so to speak, at wide receiver. And I was doing the Chargers write up when we are beat writers for RotoWare. One of our main tasks as beat writers at RotoWare is to do kind of a, a state of the state for each one of the teams. So I was compiling my Chargers one uh, a couple of days ago, and I'm going over the numbers and like, wait, Clint Johnston's going to be like, he, he's going to be a thing fantasy wise. Uh, and you look at Josh Palmer and what he did last year, over 700 receiving yards, 50-plus catches, and what I think the offense will look like with Kellen Moore now as the offense coordinator. And then I was like, wait a minute. Quinn Johnson is going like at the at pick 100. Like His ADP is at the very, very end of what I would think to be super relevant range. And I already like Jordan Aston too. I'm curious what your thoughts are on Quinton Johnston and Jordan Aston when, when it comes to relation to where you're drafting Quentin Johnson is a player I actually projected him a month before the draft going to the Chargers. Thought he'd be a perfect fit for them. I think that at 6'4", 215, he's a physical presence on the side to go along with Mike Williams. And we know Keenan Allen is still patrolling the slot when they use three receiver sets. And um, they're going to be a much pass-heavier team this year. They bring in Kellen Moore. They 
basically kept Justin Herbert under wraps with Joe Lombardi. Those days are gone. So Quinton Johnston is with a potential legendary quarterback. Now, he has a lot to work on. His route running needs work, but he has great size, speed, explosiveness combination. He can shield defenders. He starts and stops well, which is really good for some of the concepts. I know they're going to want to run in their offense. Yardage after the catch is good. So I think the issues he has are going to be overcome by the fact that defenses aren't going to be able to spend a lot of resources to try to stop him because they got to worry about Mike Williams and Keenan Allen. And if Johnson has favorable coverage, Justin Herbert's going to get the ball in there. So I think there's a high volume role for Johnson. The problem is because he's a rookie, he gets the requisite rookie hype and he's going as wide receiver 45. And I don't know that his ceiling is much beyond that. And when I'm picking in the 90s, I want a player who can perform like a player who is like a 50s pick. And I love Quentin Johnston. I just don't know how much higher his value is going to be than ADP. It's almost like a, a pick where I'll it'll be like, I'll get that worth of it, the 98th pick, but I'm not going to get much more than that. That's my only question. Love him, though. So I think that's the mindset that we just differ on because I, I'm okay with guys that just slightly outperform it. I don't need to hit a home run with my pick uh, seven through 11, like I talked about. Like I'm, I'm totally comfortable saying, yeah, this guy's going to instead be where he's drafted wide receiver 44, right? That's his current ADP or thereabouts. He ends up being wide receiver 30. That might not seem significant to you, uh, not you specifically, Jim, or to the listeners, I mean, but it, that's the type of players. What I don't want is somebody that can just utterly fail. And I think that's exactly where a Quentin Johnson's great. And even a better, like I do think Jordan Addison as the clear cut number two receiver, of the Vikings will perform to the point where he could be wide receiver 20 to 25. Like you look at what Adam Thielen has done. Jordan Addison's a way better player than Adam Thielen. Uh, and I think immediately we're going to go ahead and see that. And we have an offense that is going to be throwing the ball a lot because their defense stinks like the Vikings do. So I like Jordan Addison way more. Quentin Johnson's kind of like you're rolling the dice again. Josh Palmer for four four or five weeks was a very easy wide receiver too, and that depended on both Keenan Allen and Mike Williams being injured. Well, it's not like they stay healthy all that often. I know Keenan Allen uh, had been healthy the prior three seasons, but we're talking now age thirty. He is not going to be on the team next year. Like I don't know if you've like looked into the the Spo track uh, Charger situation at all. Keenan Allen is a cap hit of twenty four million next season if they were to cut him. They will save a $13 million. They're already cash-strapped. This is, this is a pick Quentin Johnston was to have that receiving core covered when Keenan Allen goes, and that will be next year. And I think Mike Williams, if they want to just wash their hands of him too in his injury situation, he had that back injury uh, playing unnecessary minutes uh, against the Broncos in Week 18, didn't play for the Jaguars like uh, in that playoff game that they lost. I, I think Quentin Johnston's going to be guaranteed enough playing time given those guys' injury history that at least 800 receiving yards and 50 catches, Josh Palmer stats, that's the floor. And if he if he ends up being a true X receiver on the outside that can be a downfield threat and also have speed, unlike Mike Williams, that's the sky's the limit kind of approach that you're looking for in that Moore Chargers offense. It makes sense what you're saying. Personally, if I'm if I'm going to be banking on injuries of other players, I just don't want to spend a top 100 pick on that. I get it, and I I could see the path. 
right. Williams misses his five games and Allen misses his five to eight games. And Johnson's featured in those. The one benefit I think of Johnston is when those two are on the field, his life's going to be easier. If they're not on the field, I think he's still a player that's not day one ready to be the guy. I think that if he's seeing a number one corner, and he will, if one of those guys, are, he will see because he's the bigger body. You're not going to put your number one corner on Keenan Allen. That typically doesn't happen that way. Yeah. So Quentin Johnston is going to see that upgrade in coverage. And I'm concerned that he won't be able to beat it. And if Mike Williams is out, we're going to see more Gerald Everett. We're going to see more, dare I say, screens, Austin Eckler. Uh, yeah, I wanted to go away from that a little bit this year and get downfield. So that that's a little bit of a concern there. But, uh, but I get what you're saying. And, and definitely, if those guys miss time, volume's there. And he has an elite quarterback. So you're also betting on Justin Herbert. So it makes sense. We do this uh, on the Tuesday waiver wire show, Jim. You might not be familiar with it, but Jake Latarski and I, when we have that throughout the season, uh, when we disagree on something, we call it a Culver's board bet. Like we're putting it on the board. Uh, we tallied up at the end of the season. Whoever has the most correct ones buys the other person a Culver's dinner. Uh, you being in the Midwest are very fam- uh, familiar with my favorite restaurant, Culver's. And you're not sponsoring us in any way. I wish I would, I would eat a Culver's every day if that was the case. Let's make this a Culver's board bet right now, Jim, that I believe Either Quentin Johnston or Jordan Aston will outperform Elijah Moore. And I think Moore is going, if not right around that same range, actually ahead of those two. I think both or at least one will will buy, let's just say five uh position picks will outperform. I'm I'm willing to stake my Culver's name on that right now, Jim. Oh, I'll take the Elijah Moore side of that. I mean, the thing with Jordan Addison, I love his situation, but his testing was ordinary. I mean, he's 5'11, 173. So the size is fine enough, but he's going to be a Z receiver. He's not going to be playing a lot, but he tested out 55th percentile in his 40 time. And that's for a 173 pound guy. That's usually if you're 173, your speed better be in the 80th percentile because you've got to overcome that size. Right. And his explosiveness testing was only 50th percentile. So I do think he's in a phenomenal situation, like you say, and Kirk Cousins can get the ball to him. But I think TJ Hawkinson is going to be their number two target. And he showed that last year. He was getting 10, tar- 10 targets a game. And I know Adam Thielen was falling off the face of the earth, and I get that. Uh, but Hawkinson's a very good player, and he already had half a season to develop chemistry with Kirk Cousins. Now, Addison's going to get his. And I'm not throwing you know cold water on that. He's going to have opportunity, like you said before, that Vikings defense, they got rid of Zadaria Smith. It seems like Daniil Hunter could be the next one if possible. This defense is going to be bad. Brian Flores is going to make them better. Like I, I do want to be clear. It's not the Rams' talent. Brian Flores is a good coach. That was a great defense coordinator. I wish my Packers would be half as smart as the Vikings, which feels gross to say, but actually chaining up and getting good coordinators. Like Brian Flores will make the bad pieces better, but that doesn't make the defense better. I, that's, I just want to make that distinction. Hey, don't forget, Joe, you can't make chicken salad out of chicken claws. <laughs> If you try that, it doesn't taste very good. Brian Flores could be a genius, but right now I really think they have a very big talent disadvantage. 
I love it. Uh, that's a good way to end the show. Of course, the Rotoair Wednesday podcast brought to you by Circus Sports. Next week, we have a lot of content coming on the site with Rotoair team previews. We have some overvalued, undervalued guys that used to go on the magazine, also on the site now. Put some spotlight on that, discuss some of those players. Lots more fantasy content as we really start to gear up for this July period, which is, in my mind, the start of fantasy draft. So thanks everyone for listening back in next week. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.